Hi, it's Richard, and I have just a quick programming note to share. With Thanksgiving up ahead, we'll be taking a break next week. But don't worry, in lieu of a new episode, we do have something very special lined up. Tune in next week to find out. I'd also like to take this opportunity to express just how much we appreciate you. Without your loyalty and support, we wouldn't be able to do what we love. So from all of us here at Parcast, thank you for listening and have a happy Thanksgiving. July 18th, 2013 was just another summer day for 12-year-old Kaylee Hardick. She spent the afternoon swimming at Willow Springs Water Park, a recreational lake with a 400-foot slide and jumping platforms. It was the perfect escape for kids of Little Rock, Arkansas. But when it was time to leave, Kaylee noticed a sharp pain in the front of her skull. As soon as Kaylee got home, she told her mom, Tracy, about the headache. Tracy wasn't too concerned. She assumed that Kaylee spent too much time in the heat that day. Perhaps she was dehydrated. But that all changed the following morning. Tracy went to wake Kaylee, who was usually eager to greet the morning. But today was different. Kaylee couldn't lift her head up off the pillow. She could barely open her eyes. Within hours, Kaylee was vomiting. Panicked, Tracy took her daughter's temperature. It read 103 degrees Fahrenheit. Tracy carried Kaylee to the car and sped to the Arkansas Children's Hospital. It was distressing, but she believed it was most likely an aggressive flu. A few hours later, Tracy and her husband Joseph were called into the hospital conference room. They had a feeling that whatever was coming next wouldn't be good. With grave faces, the doctors delivered devastating news. The Harding's 12-year-old daughter had contracted a brain-eating amoeba. Kaylee would not survive past the weekend. When our bodies fail, we trust doctors to diagnose the problem. But medicine isn't always an exact science. Sometimes it's a guessing game with life-or-death stakes. This is Medical Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Every Tuesday, we'll look at the strangest real-life medical cases in history and the experts who raced against the clock to solve them. As we follow these high-intensity stories, we'll explore medical research that might solve the puzzle. You can find episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other Spotify originals by Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our one-part episode on Kaylee Hardig, a 12-year-old girl infected by the rare and deadly Nagleria phalari, also known as brain-eating amoeba. Today, we'll explore where this amoeba comes from and how it affects people. We'll also find out whether, against all odds, doctors could save Kaylee's life. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. 
Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Every summer, millions of kids flock to pools, water parks, and lakes to cool off in the heat. It's the perfect place to burn their cooped-up energy while giving parents a break. What they don't realize is that a deadly brain-eating amoeba may lie dormant in the same oasis that their children are playing in. And the worst part is, nobody knows who or when it will strike. For half a century, experts have tried to understand this amoeba. They've struggled to learn how the infection works, who gets sick, and whether there's a suitable treatment. With so few answers, how is it possible for anyone to survive a chance encounter with such a deadly organism? For Kaylee Hardig, that became the most important question in the world. The Hardig family was accustomed to hearing bad news in hospitals. Tracy was in the midst of her sixth fight with breast cancer. Her husband, Sergeant Joseph Hardig, had flown home from serving in Kuwait in June 2013, just so he could look after her. This series of hardships may have sparked Tracy's quick reaction one month later that July. As soon as Kaylee woke up drowsy with a headache on July 19th, Tracy called Arkansas Children's Hospital. She made an appointment for 3 p.m. so Kaylee could be examined. Meanwhile, Tracy gave Kaylee Tylenol and Motrin, hoping for signs of improvement. But when her daughter couldn't stop vomiting, Tracy grew increasingly nervous. After taking Kaylee's temperature, she found it had spiked to 103 degrees. At noon, Tracy called Joseph to say, I don't know if she's going to make it that long, referring to her appointment time. She needed to get Kaylee to the hospital now. Soon after arriving in the emergency department, medical personnel moved Kaylee to the intensive care unit, or ICU. Tracy explained to the doctors that a day earlier, Kaylee felt fine. She was laughing and playing at Willow Springs. In response, doctors asked for Kaylee's medical history, her routine, anything that might uncover the cause. But nothing stood out. Over the next few hours, Kaylee's condition worsened. The fever dehydrated her body, and although she was hooked up to an IV, she begged for water and ice chips. But nurses couldn't offer her any of it. Kaylee wasn't supposed to ingest anything through her mouth because she could require intubation if she suddenly wasn't able to breathe. 
Shortly after observing Kaylee's symptoms in the ICU, doctors had a tentative diagnosis. The headache, fever, drowsiness, vomiting, and inability to keep her eyes open all pointed to bacterial meningitis. Bacterial meningitis causes the membranes that protect the brain and spinal cord to swell. It's a nervous system infection that spreads easily through germs from person to person. It's fairly uncommon. In the U.S., 4,100 cases were reported annually between 2003 and 2007. Kaylee could have contracted the bacteria within the last couple of days. Since the infection appears suddenly and progresses quickly, it's important to treat it with antibiotics as soon as possible. However, Dr. Don Foster, the pediatric emergency medicine physician at ACH, wanted to be 100% sure. Dr. Foster ordered a spinal tap to confirm the condition before he prescribed something Kaylee didn't need. If Kaylee did have bacterial meningitis, her cerebral spinal fluid would show low glucose levels as well as a high concentration of white blood cells working to attack the intruder. To test Kaylee's spinal fluid, nurses placed her in a fetal position. This opened the spaces between the vertebrae for easier access. Then, Kaylee received a numbing injection along her lower back. Finally, a large hollow needle extracted samples of her cerebrospinal fluid. The numbing injection stopped Kaylee from feeling pain, but Kaylee was already delirious. She had a hard time understanding what was going on in the room around her. Not long after the spinal tap, Kaylee began hallucinating. She believed the nurse's station was a cafeteria. She kept confusing her IV bags for bottles of soda. Meanwhile, doctors sent Kaylee's spinal fluid to the microbiology lab for testing. As they waited for the results, nurses monitored Kaylee with concern. Hallucinations only accompanied the most severe cases of bacterial meningitis, so things already weren't looking good. But they couldn't optimize their treatment for Kaylee until they knew for certain what was invading her body. Tamika Reed was the lab technician who first examined Kaylee's spinal fluid under a microscope. Instead of finding bacteria as doctors expected, Dr. Reed found something much worse. Kaylee's father, Joseph, arrived at the hospital that night. Moments later, two doctors took the Hardigs into a conference room and shut the door. They told Kaylee's parents that the results of the lumbar puncture did show an elevated level of white blood cells. This surplus of these blood cells was causing a dangerous swelling in Kaylee's brain. However, they didn't find the bacteria that causes meningitis. Instead, they found a whitish organism, one only slightly bigger than the blood cells. It was called Nagleria fowleri, otherwise known as a brain-eating amoeba. Doctors were lucky to find it. These amoebas are so small and look so much like white blood cells, they are rather easy to miss. They're about one-eighth the width of a strand of human hair. In itself, Nagleria fowleri is a pretty rare amoeba. Between 1962 and the summer of 2013, there had only been 128 cases reported in the U.S. 
The Arkansas Children's Hospital alone had only seen two of those cases, and both resulted in death. Negleria fowleri is considered a free-living amoeba, meaning it can survive with or without a host. But if it does find a victim to feed on, it can cause a rare infection called primary amoebic meningoencephalitis, otherwise known as PAM. PAM is exclusively tied to Negleria fowleri. Other types of free-living amoebas can cause different infections that are not as rare or deadly as PAM. The early symptoms of PAM are severe frontal headache, fever, nausea, and vomiting, exactly like Kaylee had experienced. As with bacterial meningitis, PAM progresses at a rapid speed. This could explain how Kaylee developed a fever after one night of a headache and why she started hallucinating a few hours after that. The hallucinations meant Kaylee had entered the second wave of Pam's symptoms, altered mental status, stiff neck, seizures, and coma. Her doctors feared the worst was yet to come. The doctors did have one piece of positive news. Since Tracy took Kaylee to the hospital early, it bought the doctors valuable time. In the majority of cases, PAM patients don't receive their diagnosis in time, meaning they don't stand a chance against it. Symptoms appear within one to nine days after Negleria fowleri infects the body. From there, the amoeba starts eating away at the brain tissue. The body responds by sending immune cells, such as white blood cells, to fight the infection which causes the inflammation. This symptom causes the common misdiagnosis of bacterial meningitis. If the swelling gets too severe, the skull's hard design doesn't offer much room for the brain to expand. The organ pushes against the interior of the bone as well as the holes at the base of the skull, cutting off blood circulation to the brain. This process is called herniation, and if it's not treated, will lead to death. The average PAM patient dies about five days after symptom onset. So if doctors didn't find a way to help Kaylee soon, she had no chance of survival. At first, the Hardigs wondered if there was some mistake. It didn't make sense that a 12-year-old from Arkansas would contract a brain-eating amoeba. Up until now, Kaylee was a perfectly healthy young girl. The doctors explained that Kaylee was exposed to the amoeba by chance. She happened to be playing in the organism's preferred environment on the day she got sick. In other words, she was exposed to Negleria fowleri at Willow Springs Water Park. The physicians explained that Negleria fowleri loves warm freshwater. But under the right circumstances, the amoeba can enter the body in a very specific way, through the nostrils. Negleria fowleri attaches itself to the olfactory mucus and travels up the nasal cavity to the olfactory bulb, the part of the forebrain responsible for smell. From there, the amoeba starts to feast. Negleria fowleri infections are not contagious, and you can't catch it by drinking contaminated water because stomach acid kills the amoeba. Whether it be splashed or inhaled, Negleria fowleri must enter the nose to survive. 
Nagleria phalari could have been in the water park for a long time, waiting for someone's cannonball or a game of chicken to go wrong. Kaylee happened to be that someone. Doctors had already called the hospital's infectious disease specialist, Dr. Matthew Lynham. He was on his way and had already suggested several methods to combat the amoeba. If Kaylee's immune cells were protecting the body from bacteria, doctors thought they could prescribe antibiotics and maybe give those cells some help. This might prevent the excessive swelling. However, this was just a temporary fix, if it could help at all, because Kaylee's blood cells were fighting a parasite. She needed something that could battle the powerful Nagleria fowleri. Those treatments were hard to come by and ineffective if not given in a timely manner. Tracy, who survived five recurrences of cancer, knew about beating the odds, but she'd never come across anything like this. In fact, the condition was unheard of through most of America. Many people had no idea what Nagleria phalari was and that it could be living in their own backyard. Coming up, Nagleria fowleri poses a risk to other unsuspecting families. Listeners, here's a show sure to tug at your heartstrings. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, and some don't. In Our Love Story, the new Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now, back to the story. On July 18, 2013, 12-year-old Kaylee Hartig went swimming at Willow Springs Water Park in Little Rock, Arkansas. A day later, she was rushed to the hospital. There, she was diagnosed with a brain-eating amoeba that causes a condition known as primary amoebic meningoencephalitis, or PAM. There's still a lot that doctors don't know about PAM. In defense of researchers and physicians everywhere, it is incredibly hard to study for several reasons. First, it's rare. The number of annual PAM cases in the United States ranges from zero to eight people. This means that the pool of patients is too small for meaningful case studies. Second, PAM is often misdiagnosed. 
Early symptoms of PAM like headache, fever, nausea, vomiting are identical to symptoms of bacterial or viral meningitis. If a patient is correctly diagnosed with PAM, 75% of the time it's after the patient has died. Many autopsy reports claim unspecified meningitis as the cause of death. In reality, PAM may have been the real killer, which means it might be more common than doctors think. For now, physicians and researchers are largely left to study PAM on a case-by-case basis, although they have discovered a few trends. For example, infections in the U.S. are typically seen in the southern states, The Centers for Disease Control reports that Florida and Texas claim over half of the U.S. cases. This is due to the amount of warm freshwater in those areas. Negleria falleri can't live in salt water, properly treated municipal water, or properly treated swimming pools. That's because there's no organic matter for it to feed upon. The most common origins are lakes, ponds, or stagnant rainwater. Another trend is PAM's seasonal habits. PAM almost exclusively occurs in the late summer because of Negleria falleri's life cycle. The amoeba has three stages, trophozoite, flagellate, and cyst, but it only eats when it's in the trophozoite phase. This is when the organism is activated by, among other conditions, the appropriate temperature and pH levels. With regard to water temperature, trophozoites' ideal environment is about 108 degrees Fahrenheit, but can remain active between 86 degrees and 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Unfortunately, the beloved Willow Springs Water Park was also a paradise for Negleria fowleri. This news was heartbreaking for the park's owner, David Ratliff. He worked at Willow Springs Water Park since he was 12, and he loved it just as much as the guests. In 2005, he and his wife, Luann, bought the location when it went up for sale. But maintaining a water park is no easy feat. Once Kaylee was infected, the Arkansas Department of Health investigated the site. They found that although the water was chlorinated, the amount of chemicals David used was not enough to kill dangerous organic matter. In addition to the chlorine levels, the Department of Health revealed Kaylee wasn't the first child infected at Willow Springs. In the summer of 2010, three years prior to Kaylee's hospitalization, seven-year-old Davian Briggs spent a day at Willow Springs. A day later, he complained about a headache and stiff neck. His mother gave him over-the-counter medicine and sent him to bed. But the next day, he wouldn't wake up. Then, Davian began having seizures. His mother sped to the hospital where doctors performed a lumbar puncture. That's when they found the amoeba. But it was too late. Davian fought for his life in the ICU for two weeks before he died. At the time of his death, Davian's family didn't publicly announce that he'd caught Negleria falleri at Willow Springs, At least not until Kaylee contracted the parasite also. Heartbroken, David and Luann agreed to the Department of Health's recommendation. They would close their water park for the season. 
But even if someone were to avoid warm freshwater locations like Willow Springs, they still aren't completely safe from the deadly Negleria phalari. In June 2011, a 28-year-old man from St. Bernard Parish, Louisiana, named Jeffrey Cusimano, fell ill. He experienced headaches and vomiting along with neck and back pain. Jeffrey had a history of migraines and believed that this was the cause of his symptoms. But by the time he arrived at the hospital, he was acting confused and combative, and he had a fever. Doctors suspected meningitis and performed a lumbar puncture, except initially they didn't see this or Negleria phalari in Jeffrey's spinal fluid. As we mentioned earlier, these amoebas are small and are sometimes overlooked when surrounded by immune cells. By the time doctors had positively identified the parasite and sent Jeffrey's sample to the Centers for Disease Control for further confirmation, it was too late. Jeffrey was declared brain-dead on June 8th, three days after he got sick. The CDC finally confirmed the cause two days later, on June 10th. It was Negleria fowleri after all. The source of his amoeba had doctors puzzled. According to Jeffrey's family, he hadn't swam in warm freshwater lately. As investigators studied his daily habits, they soon had an idea about the source of Jeffrey's infection. And just four months later, on September 28, 2011, another person would become infected in the same way. This time, it was a 51-year-old woman from northern Louisiana who displayed the telltale symptoms. Three days before she checked herself into the hospital, she experienced confusion, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, and fever. And just like Jeffrey's case, doctors did not catch the amoeba in her spinal fluid. She died on October 2nd, 2011. The woman's parents offered doctors a startling clue, a clue they also discovered in Jeffrey's case. Their daughter hadn't been swimming in warm water, but she did have issues with her sinuses. And she frequently used a tool called a neti pot. A neti pot is a teapot-shaped container filled with salt and water. It's designed to rinse debris or mucus from the nose. It helps with allergies, congestion, sinus pressure, and colds. The spout directs the saline solution through one nostril, where it travels through the nasal cavity and out the other side. As soon as doctors heard this, health professionals tested water samples from the patient's faucet. Sure enough, they were positive for Negleria phalari. Now Jeffrey's doctors could point to a second case of exposure to Negleria phalari via neti pot. Here's where both patients went wrong. When preparing a neti pot, the instructions say to use sterile or distilled water. You can also boil the water for three to five minutes and cool before use, killing any potentially harmful bacteria or amoebas. Despite the specificity of the instructions, media outlets latched onto this story, warning people over the dangers of neti pots. There was a nationwide panic on whether the practice was safe. Meanwhile, the real danger went undiscussed. Negleria fowleri wasn't just living in lakes and water parks. It was inside the victims' homes. 
Following these cases, the Centers for Disease Control found Nagleria phalari in five locations throughout northwest Louisiana's water system. It was the first time something like this had ever been recorded. Charles Gerba is a microbiologist at the University of Arizona who specializes in groundwater Nagleria phalari. He said the problem was that Louisiana treated their water in chloramines, a mix of chlorine and ammonia. This mixture is a legitimate method for cleaning drinking water, and they did use the correct levels. However, under certain circumstances, chloramines aren't as effective as chlorine when it comes to fighting Nagleria phalari. Chlorine is the more traditional method for purifying water systems. Some researchers suggested that the low water usage after Hurricane Katrina may have also played a part. Following the disaster, many people moved away or evacuated certain areas of Louisiana. This created pockets in the system where chloramines may not have mixed properly. If this were the case, it wouldn't have killed the amoeba. While this was just a theory, Louisiana's Department of Health couldn't take another risk. The state increased their efforts to reach all pockets of their water system with properly mixed chloramines. For a while, it seemed like their efforts paid off. But 2013 brought with it another tragedy. In July of that year, a four-year-old boy was taken to the hospital with a fever, headache, and severe vomiting. He happened to be in St. Bernard Parish, Louisiana the same parish in which Jeffrey Cusimano first contracted the amoeba. The boy passed away in early August from Pam. His exposure was connected to tap water. Days before his hospitalization, his family had used it for their slip and slide. A month after the boy's death, the parish flushed its entire water system. They couldn't risk another life. Experts can't say with certainty where the next case of Pam may occur, but they are starting to speculate that the amoeba itself is everywhere. It's possible that millions of people come into contact with Negleria fowleri every year. But that doesn't explain why so few people suffer the consequences. One hypothesis seems obvious. It's not every day that we're diving into lakes or kneeboarding in stagnant water. The chances of being in a body of water that also happens to get up the nose seems relatively slim. Another hypothesis focuses on Nagleria fowleri's life cycle. As we mentioned before, some people are exposed to the amoeba while it's still dormant, meaning it won't feed on the brain tissue. One of the most accepted ideas points to evidence that people have antibodies which fight off Nagleria phalari before it leads to PAM. This suggests that the amoeba enters a lot more noses than we think. It's just killed off before it can spread to the brain. Each of these theories has yet to be proven. But after following demographic trends, experts at least have an idea of who is more at risk. 80% of PAM victims are males. And tragically, over 60% of U.S. cases are in children ages 13 or younger. Although researchers still aren't sure why. Doctors wanted to make sure that Kaylee wasn't just another statistic. As we mentioned earlier, 
Only 25% of PAM cases are diagnosed correctly while the patient is still alive. The team at Arkansas Children's Hospital defied those odds by diagnosing Kaylee so quickly. Despite the uncertainty, their swift action gave Kaylee a chance at survival. Now all they had to do was cure the infection, a feat that had only been done twice before out of 128 attempts. Coming up, Kaylee's life hangs in the balance as her miracle drug is lost in the mail. Now, back to the story. In 2013, a brain-eating amoeba infected 12-year-old Kaylee Hardig at her local water park in Little Rock, Arkansas. As soon as physicians diagnosed her, they called Dr. Matthew Lynham, the infectious disease specialist at Arkansas Children's Hospital. When Dr. Lynham arrived, he prescribed Kaylee antibiotics and antifungals. Then, doctors inserted a catheter into Kaylee's brain. This was meant to reduce the rapid swelling caused by her overproduction of white blood cells. To do this, doctors drilled a tiny hole into Kaylee's skull and inserted the catheter into the lateral ventricle, or the part of the brain where cerebrospinal fluid is stored. This was aimed at relieving some of Kaylee's symptoms, like her painful headaches. Despite the variety of medications, Kaylee kept losing consciousness. One minute she was telling her dad her vision was blurry. The next moment, she was out cold. Doctors couldn't work fast enough to combat the swelling. Kaylee's doctors agreed she'd need a rare drug called miltefacin. Miltefacin was originally developed in 1980s Germany to treat breast cancer. But it had too many dangerous side effects for it to be widely approved. Patients in a 1993 clinical trial for advanced colorectal cancer, for example, experienced not only nausea and diarrhea, but elevated white blood cells, an excessive number of platelets in the blood, which lead to deadly clots, and toxicity in the kidneys. Later, the drug proved useful in treating leishmaniasis, a parasite spread through sandfly bites. This led scientists to discover its effects on Nagleria phalari as well. Prior to 2013, miltefacin typically had to be shipped from Germany, and the drug took over a week to arrive. With an infection as rapid as PAM, this was time patients like Kaylee couldn't spare. The CDC needed the medicine in the U.S. so it could get to patients faster. On May 24, 2013, less than two months before Kaylee's infection, the CDC received approval to start keeping the drug on hand. Miltefacin was rushed to the agency just before the PAM seasonal spike. The timing of this decision was a miracle for Kaylee. Dr. Lynham sent the urgent request for miltefacin to the CDC on July 19th, the same day as Kaylee's diagnosis. They were swiftly approved, and the medicine was shipped from Atlanta, Georgia, to Little Rock, Arkansas, the very next day. Everyone waited anxiously as doctors continued to monitor Kaylee's vitals. They expected the miltefacin to arrive within 24 hours, but Negleria phalari could take Kaylee's life at any moment. After a day, Dr. Lyman grew restless. The medicine was taking too long. 
He called the CDC, who confirmed the initial shipment had been sent. A nurse followed up with the delivery service, who confirmed the miltefacin was put on a plane. After tracking down the airline, they learned that Kaylee's miracle drug had landed. Yet the medication was nowhere to be found. Kaylee's parents were frantic. Their daughter's condition was getting worse by the hour. The swelling caused pressure on her brain, which led to shallow breathing. Kaylee was in and out of consciousness as doctors inserted a breathing tube down her throat. They did everything they could to keep her alive, praying that the miltefacin would miraculously appear. Thankfully, luck was on Kaylee's side. It's unclear how the miltefacin was recovered. It could have been discovered by airport staff, or it's possible the CDC sent a second shipment. Either way, it got to Kaylee on Sunday, July 21st, 2013, just three days after her initial exposure to the amoeba. The following day, doctors lowered Kaylee's body temperature from the fevered 103 degrees to 93 degrees Fahrenheit. This cooling process, which uses a machine to rotate gel packets, is a common treatment for brain injuries as it reduces swelling. Kaylee was then placed in a medically induced coma. To do this, doctors administered a sedative until her brain waves mimicked a natural coma. The goal is to slow down the brain's functions so less blood is required. Now, all they could do was wait and hope the miltefacin did the rest. The next evening, Tracy appeared on the 9 o'clock news in Arkansas. She explained what had happened to Kaylee after her trip to the water park. Kaylee's story acted as a cautionary tale, warning parents to take their child's illnesses seriously. Kaylee's story reached families who'd lived through the same trauma. One report caught the attention of a Texas woman named Julie Lewis. Her son had died three years prior from Pam. She reached out to Kaylee's family, offering prayers and hoping their outcome would be different. Later, the parents of Zachary Reyna also reached out to Tracy. Zach was a 12-year-old boy in Florida who caught Nagleria phalari kneeboarding in stagnant rainwater. He and Kaylee had been infected within two weeks of one another, and he was fighting for his life, too. Several days passed after Kaylee went into her medically-induced coma. Her physicians were cautiously optimistic. The swelling in her brain had subsided, but she still had a long journey ahead. Meanwhile, the mixture of antibiotics and miltefacin took a toll on Kaylee's kidneys. Tests showed that toxins had gathered in her organs. As July came to a close, nurses hooked Kaylee up to a dialysis machine. This carefully monitored blood flow and filtered out any unwanted materials from her circulatory system. Kaylee's spinal fluid was monitored constantly for signs of the amoeba, but this was only the first step. Even if Kaylee beat Pam, nobody was sure how much damage she'd suffered to her brain. The deterioration was hard to detect while she was still in a coma. There was a chance Kaylee could beat the infection and still never wake up. 
In late July 2013, Kaylee's test results came back with some good news. Kaylee's spinal fluid had zero signs of Nagleria phalari. The amoeba was gone. Physicians warned Kaylee's parents she wasn't out of the woods yet. Now it was time for the doctors to raise her body temperature back to normal and bring her out of the coma. Hopefully, she would wake up. By August 5th, 18 days after Kaylee was diagnosed with Pam, she had moved her head on her own. Her parents cried out as Kaylee reached her hand towards her mother. Four days later, Kaylee was released from the ICU and moved to another wing to recover. Her brain was slightly scarred from the amoeba's feeding. At first, Kaylee was unable to read, write, walk, or talk. But doctors assured her parents that this cognitive regression was temporary. On August 12th, Kaylee wrote her name in big, shaky letters. A week after that, she spoke for the first time in a month and said, Hi, Mama. From there, Kaylee recovered quickly. Dr. Esther H. Tompkins worked with the 12-year-old girl to rebuild her speech and mobility. Kaylee even relearned how to swim in the hospital's rehabilitation pool. After an understandable hesitation, Kaylee was overjoyed that she would be able to participate in her favorite activity again. As Kaylee grew stronger, Tracy received sobering news from the Reyna family. Their son, Zach, wasn't as fortunate. Just like Kaylee, Zach took miltefacin. In fact, the drug reached Zach in about seven hours, while Kaylee's took over 24. He, too, was put into a coma. But for unknown reasons, doctors were having more difficulty lowering his body temperature. Regardless, in late August, Zach's spinal fluid also showed signs of a miracle. Zero evidence of Nagleria fowleri. Perhaps he had also overcome Pam. Two children beating the infection within a month of each other was unheard of in the medical community. News outlets reported on the success, asking, is Miltefacin the answer to this deadly amoeba? But Zach's fight wasn't over. His doctors were concerned about the extent of his brain damage. On August 24th, they examined Zach and discovered the worst. The amoeba had done irreversible damage. Zach was brain dead. Unlike Kaylee, he never got the chance to squeeze his mom's hand. Zach's parents kept his body on a ventilator so his organs could be donated. He was pronounced dead that afternoon. His family was crushed, but found some solace in the fact that Zach's donation could save other lives. Several factors could have made the difference between these two cases. Kaylee's early diagnosis and cooling procedure may have given her an advantage. Another mystery of the amoeba is its virulence, or its ability to damage the host. Doctors still don't know if some amoebas are more or less virulent than others. Perhaps Kaylee's Nagleria phalari was weaker than Zach's. He may have been doomed from the start. On September 11, 2013, after more than 50 days in the hospital, Kaylee was discharged. She continued physical and speech therapy with Dr. Tompkins and would soon return to school. Kaylee reached a full neurologic recovery 
and was able to walk unassisted three months later. She sprung back to life with vigor and still had a passion for swimming. But going forward, she always wore nose plugs. Kaylee also traveled and spoke publicly about her near-death experience. She wanted to spread awareness about the brain-eating amoeba that almost killed her and that still kills multiple people every year. Because of Kaylee and Zach's story, the drug miltefacin is now recognized as an essential ingredient to treating Pam, which is important since the numbers are growing every year. Scientists believe this growth is due to two factors. First, climate change, which is heating more bodies of fresh water for longer periods of time, meaning Negleria fowleri has more opportunities to thrive. In the last decade, PAM cases were reported farther north in the U.S. than ever before. Trends were seen in Indiana and Minnesota for the first time in history. Experts are nervous Negleria fowleri will escalate as climate change worsens. Global warming will not only increase the amount of places Negleria fowleri can live, it will also help the amoeba reproduce. Negleria fowleri replicates through binary fission, which means one amoeba can split itself into two. This happens in its feeding or trophozoite phase, which again is primarily active in warmer temperatures. The second factor for increasing PAM cases is awareness. Because of people like Kaylee and Zach, more physicians are cautious of PAM symptoms. They are now able to spot the small but significant differences between the amoeba and bacterial meningitis. This means more cases are accurately getting recorded. But there's still so much to uncover behind the mystery of Negleria fowleri and the infection it causes. Researchers are still exploring mysteries such as how the Louisiana water lines were contaminated, if Zach Reyna's amoeba was somehow more powerful than Kaylee's, and whether doctors can replicate the success at Arkansas Children's Hospital. As experts continue to learn and improve treatment, Kaylee Hardick's case remains a beacon of hope for us all. Thanks again for listening to Medical Mysteries. We'll be back next week with another episode. You can find all episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Medical Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Medical Mysteries was written by Kit Fitzgerald, with writing assistance by Allie Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from ParCast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.